You're listening to the CCF Saturday Night Service Podcast. To connect with us, you may chat us at m.me slash elevatemain. We hope you enjoy today's talk. Joy and privilege and blessing to be with you here today. Um, how many of you devoted your hearts to God last Sunday? You heard the message and you're like, Lord, I want my heart to be completely yours. Can you raise your hand? I think a lot of you, if not most of us, did. And I just want to remind you, when we devote our hearts to God, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, what does that actually mean? You know, in 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter tells us, but like the Holy One who called you, can you read this with me? Be holy. Be holy yourselves also. Can you see it? Oh, no wonder you're not reading because you can't see it. <laughs> okay. Is it... Uh, Turn your Bibles, if you have your Bible with you, 1 Peter 1.15, and I will read it for you. If you can't, if you don't have your Bible, just listen. Here's how it goes. It says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I think one of the things that we forget as Christians is that God has really called us to be holy people. And as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right, we're coming from last week, we celebrated the uh, 39th anniversary of CCF, praise God. We were all encouraged and reminded that we want to live hearts that are devoted to God. That's the kind of heart we want. But I want to remind you today that when you are in Christ, you become a new person. And God has really called us to be holy people because that's who we are. And so... Our series has been on what's wrong with us, right? Even though we know this, a lot of us experience compromise, yes? How many of you still compromise from time to time? I think we all do. And what I love about 1 Corinthians, the entire book, it really speaks about topics that are so relevant for all of us today. You see, the church of Corinth was uh, a very, um, busy, bustling uh, place. It was located between two bodies of water. And if you remember the first four chapters, what was the issue that they were wrestling with in the church? They were divided, right? Uh, they, were, they were discussing about theology and then about uh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. They were, they were not united. But in chapter five, you will see a shift the Apostle Paul now tackles another issue that was very prevalent in the Church of Corinth, which is very prevalent today. You see, because it was a port city and one of their gods, uh, the, the, the Corinthians, they worship Aphrodite, and they had uh, temple prostitutes. So the sailors would come from the, from the boats and they, would, they had so much prostitution, so much sexual immorality in, in that city. And it's not very different from, from it is uh, from what it is like today. And so we begin the chapter with the issue. And the Apostle Paul says, he says, it's actually reported that there is immorality among you. So the word immorality, the Greek word for that is pornea. That's where you get the word pornography. And I always tell my children that, you know, sex is an amazing thing. God created sex. It's beautiful. There's nothing dirty about sex. But obviously because of sin, Sin always corrupts the beauty of what God makes, amen? And so because of sin, you have now a perversion of, of sex. And something as maybe people say, hey, pornography, I'm not hurting anybody, I'm just you know, watching, that is a perversion of what sex is. Because God designed sex beautifully between husband and wife. And I tell my children, you know, sex, it's like fire. It's an awesome thing. Like in the fireplace, it keeps you warm. You can have s'mores. It's beautiful. It's nice to watch. But outside of the fireplace, and how many of you know of a friend whose house burned down? Or maybe your house burned down. What is common when a house burns down? They lose everything. I mean, the fire spares nothing. Even if wood is soaked in water, once it's in fire, it burns. And that's what immorality does. Like outside of God's design, 
for sex, which is a beautiful thing, it actually destroys everything around you. And you may think it's not destroying you, but here in this church, this was a real issue. And he says, it's not just immorality, he says, it's immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles. You see, for the Romans, it was completely wrong. Even though they were so immoral, it was completely wrong to have an incestuous relationship with a family member. And in this case, this person, someone has his father's wife. So it could be a stepmother, but the fact is here's somebody that is having, it's not past tense, it wasn't something that just happened, it is current, it is what's going on. He is having a relationship with his father's wife. What's the message today? The message today is this, embrace holiness, because that's how God designed us to be. Now to embrace holiness, you're gonna see a very unique passage in scripture. There is discipline involved. So to embrace holy means, means to also embrace what? Discipline. discipline. And we're gonna look at four aspects in 1 Corinthians 15. We're gonna look at how embracing holiness, embracing discipline, you need to restore the sinner, you need to remove the sin, you need to receive God's grace, and we also need to redeem the world. So I'm gonna ask the Lord to, to speak to us. It's not an easy passage to preach on, but I think it's something that we all need to hear. So let's ask the Lord to be the one to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, again, for the 39 years of um, faithfulness that we celebrated as a church last week. And Lord, just like the church in Corinth, I know in this church, there is no perfect church. And we, we have our own issues that we struggle with. And Father, as we look at this passage, Holy Spirit, I ask you be the one to speak to our hearts. You said that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword and it pierced into our hearts. So that's what I ask, Holy Spirit, that as I speak, it's not me speaking, but it would be you. It would be speaking to all of our hearts. Protect us from the distractions of, uh, you know, of this world, of Satan. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would be the one to um, sear into our hearts and our minds your word that will transform us for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, immorality was what was brought up, right? And then he goes on to say, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. What were the attitudes? Arrogance? Why arrogance? Have you heard of licentiousness? It's like you, you become a Christian and you understand that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, it's all by God's grace, right? And that's why some people say, how can that be? How, can, how come I, I, I don't, you know, my, my good works don't matter, my good works don't save me? Well, the reality is when you're in Christ and if you are in Christ, then you will do good works because that's who you are. But yes, it is not our good works that saves us. So it could possibly be that the Corinthians were like, I'm saved by grace, so I can continue to live in sin because God is gonna forgive me anyways. That is a very, very dangerous mindset. And the Apostle Paul says, don't be arrogant. They were arrogant about this unity and now they're being arrogant about the immorality among their midst. And he actually goes on to say, if you and I want to restore the sinner, and I'm speaking about myself. I'm speaking about you. I don't want you to think about the person beside you. Think about yourself. If you want to restore yourself, you're struggling with sin. The Apostle Paul says we should mourn. Instead of being arrogant, instead of being proud, we should mourn. To be, mo to be mournful means repentant. To understand that you have sinned against God and that you need his forgiveness. To restore a sinner, I should be humble and mourn over my sin. This will lead me to what? To repentance. And the Apostle Paul is not actually just speaking about immorality. Although that was the specific case he highlighted, look at verse 11. He says, actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, right? He's talking about people who call themselves Christians. If he is an immoral person, 
And we talked about what immorality is. So immorality is anything outside of God's design for sex. So that's pornography, um, sleeping with somebody before marriage, sleeping with somebody aside the, uh, besides your wife in marriage, that's adultery, having a homosexual relationship, lesbian relationship, all of that is out of God's design. That's what immorality is. But he goes on to say it is more than just immorality. What does he say? Covetous? So that deals with what? Our, our greed, right? Or an idolater or a reviler, a reviler who's, who, whose mouth is out of control, could be full of gossip, could be full of slander, or a drunkard. Drunkard is obvious, right? Somebody who is um, intoxicated by alcohol and does it regularly, or a swindler, again, money, not even to eat with such a one. So we have here the issues that we all struggle with, greed, reviler, our mouth, idolatry, drunkenness, swindler, again, money. And he's talking about these are people that have gone through the process of, of discipline, but they refuse to change, right? He says, if that is such a person and they call themselves a Christian, don't associate with them. And we're going to look at why. But the purpose is you want to restore the sinner. It's always done in an attitude of love and grace. Because we are not a perfect church. So we're not saying, hey, immoral people are not allowed here. No, we're, we're saying, hey, if we've become followers of Jesus and he is the Lord of our life, should our lives change? Yes. But if we refuse to change, we refuse, then this is where I, I beg you. You embrace discipline because God wants what's best for you. We think that I can't let go of this because this is what gives me happiness, satisfaction, pleasure in life. It's all temporary. What truly gives us happiness, pleasure, and joy that doesn't end is the right relationship, the right holy life that we live in the power of Christ. So that's what the Apostle Paul wants. He wants to restore the sinner. You've heard this, right? God accepts us the way we are. Amen? But he loves us, but his love refuses to leave us the way we are. And as a body, as a family, we're going to see what we should do with each other in a loving way. So what's the message today? Embrace, embrace discipline. So he goes on to say, the book of Hebrews reminds us why discipline is so important. You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, read it with me. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. The verses after that say, you know, if you're not being disciplined, maybe you're an illegitimate child, meaning maybe you're not really God's child, because there is no father who truly loves his children who will not discipline his children. So my son is nine years old. I have four kids. The youngest is nine, and it's been a while since I've spanked him. But the other day, I was telling him to do something, and he didn't want to do it, and he walked off and he slammed the door on me. So the first time he did that, that was actually a week ago, I got irritated. I said, Andrew, come back in here right now. I'm spanking you. But I didn't spank him because I was angry. Never spank when you're angry. And I, I just, I couldn't spank him because I was angry at what he did. But he did it again a few days ago. And this time, I wasn't angry. I walked to him and I said, Andrew, did you just slam the door on me? And he didn't answer me. I said, do you know what I asked you to do? He said, I didn't want to do it. I'm like, exactly. You didn't want to do it, but I asked you to do it. That's disobedience. He's like, oh. And I'm like, I'm not angry at you, but I'm going to discipline you. So you choose your discipline. Either I'll spank you or no, no video games or movie for two weeks. He said, please spank me. <laughs> I, I said, Andrew, you're nine years old. I, I, don't, I don't think I should spank you anymore. 
I'm like, let's, let's do no video games and TV for one week. And he said, okay. And then, you know, afterwards, um, he went to his room. And then, you know, maybe five minutes later, he came back to me and he started crying. He's like, dad, I'm so sorry. So sorry for disobeying you. So sorry for being disrespectful. The discipline had sunk into his heart. He had recognized that he had done something wrong. We do that as parents because we want our children to learn how to be obedient. We want, we want them to be blessed. God disciplines us because he loves us. Whom the Lord loves, he what? He disciplines. God is a holy God. When he saved you, he saved you into that kind of life. He wants you to be holy. He wants me to be holy. So not just sex, but every aspect of your life. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not, not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? This is God now, right? For they disciplined us, this is the parents, for a short time as seemed best to them. And by the way, your parents, I'm not perfect. You know, I've, I've made mistakes in the way I've disciplined my children. But you have to understand the heart of a father. He really wants what's best for his child. And, and that's what this verse is saying. But he says, God disciplines us for whose good? For our good. God is not a punitive God. What do I mean? He doesn't want to punish you just to punish you. But he disciplines you, why? Because he loves you. He's redemptive. His acts are always for our good. So that we may share, what? In his holiness. Because God knows that when you are living a holy life, you are most fruitful, most productive. You are the best version of yourself when you are living a holy life. You think that you are, it's, a, it's being a KJ to be a Christian? That is absolutely not true. When you are following Jesus, it is the best version of who you are. And you have the greatest impact in this world. And so that's why Satan works doubly hard to trap us, to keep us like the Corinthian church, full of fighting, struggling with immorality, and not just immorality, but you know, greed, possessions, words, our, our words. So what do you do? What do you do in a body of Christ like this, like where we're spiritual family? You see somebody, and again, my first point is, Restore the sinner, and I'm talking about ourself, right? But there are times in a small group, and this is the beauty of having a small group, because in a big church like this, you could be sitting somewhere in the corner, and nobody will ever know who you are, and nobody will ever know what you're struggling with, and nobody will ever know the issue that you're wrestling with, the sin that you are fighting. But in a small group, in a family, you can't hide, you will see. And it's not like, oh, I want to hide. No, I don't want to hide because I want to be holy. I want to be, I want to embrace holiness because this is who God is and this is how he made me to be. And so that means I need to embrace discipline. So there are times that you and I will need to approach a brother or a sister. And how do we do that? Galatians chapter 6 tells us, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Can you say it with me? Gentleness. Why? Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. It is so easy for us to point the finger at somebody else. And it's so easy for us to not point the finger at all. To just say, that's not my issue. But we are a family. And part of what this passage is saying is, hey, it should matter to us because we are one body. So what do you do? In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, Jesus tells us, number one, if there is somebody who you need to approach, you go to them privately, privately first. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he, ins if he listens to you, you have what? Won your brother over. Sometimes we don't wanna confront, right? But there's a proverb. That says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? But, let me show you the, the verse. It says, but, 
but the deceitful are, can you see with me? Have you guys not been reading any of my PowerPoint? <laughs> Just that one? Okay. <laughs> Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So there are times if you are a true friend and you see a brother or sister making a decision or about to make a decision that you know is going to lead them into sin, what should you do? You approach them privately. You give them a call. If they listen, you have what? Won over a brother, a sister. That's true friendship. If they don't listen, what do you do? Okay, I go back now. Two, you bring witnesses to attest him or her. It says in verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be what? Confirmed. So bring somebody else with you, a brother, in a gentle way, right? Gentle. If they don't, still listen. Step three, tell those directly affected about him or her. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church, your spiritual family. If he, re if he refuses to listen even to the church, then what do you do? What 1 Corinthians 5 says, right? He says, do not associate with him or with her. Let him be to you as what? A Gentile, meaning an unbeliever or a tax collector. Now, there are many people who work in the BIR that are good people, okay? So, but in, back in the time of Jesus, these guys were, were people that stole from everyone else, right? And so they said, treat him like an unbeliever. Back to our passage, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 3, 4. So, it doesn't say it here, but I believe Paul went through all those steps. And yet the person refused to change. In fact, the whole church did nothing about it. And so he goes on to say, I on my part, though absent in body, he's not even there, but present in spirit. Paul spent the most time with the Corinthian church. I think he spent a year and a half with that church. So he knew them very well. He says, I've already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. And look at what he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus, so it's not in his own power, when you are assembled, it's not even just him, it's the body of Christ together, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, what did he do? I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan. What does that mean? Did he have a seance and say, we're now dedicating so-and-so to Satan? No. Who is the king of this world? The ruler of, the, of this world? Satan is, right? The church is separate. We are a royal nation, a royal priesthood. When you come to Christ, you are, there is a third class, right? We are separate. And so to deliver somebody to Satan, when you remove them from the body, from the church, they are now in whose, they are now, they're, you are, they're not protected by their brothers and sisters. But why does he deliver him to Satan? For what? For the destruction of his flesh. Do you remember when Job, when God allowed Satan to interfere in Job's life? What did Satan do? What was affected in Job's life? His physical body, right? You know, there are verses in the Bible we're gonna be celebrating the Lord's Supper later on. There was a time, and it's also in, the, in, in, in Corinth, that people were not celebrating the Lord's Supper properly. They were not waiting for each other, they were very selfish, and the Apostle Paul says, some of you are sick. Some of you even sleep. To be handed over to Satan means, okay, Lord, remove your protection from this person's life. And maybe through physical illness, it would cause the person to what? To repent. Remember, what is the goal? It's to restore the sinner. And what is more important, the soul or the body of a person? The soul. Both are important, 
but the soul is what will last forever. So I don't want to be like this person who is handed over to Satan, who, get, who, who, has, who is now opening up his life to sickness, problems. You know, all of us will face problems, yes? But there are many problems that are caused because of our own sin. I don't like those kind of problems. I like the problems that come because God is using them to shape and mold and, and develop me as, as the man he wants me to be. But I don't like the problems or the sickness that come because of sin. And I'm here to remind you that God loves you so much that he wants our souls to be refined, our spirit. It's redemptive. It's for our good. So let's not be stubborn. stubborn. Let's not be arrogant. Let's be what? Humble. And let's help each other so that his spirit may be what? Saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Wow, isn't this action unchristian or unloving? Remember the prodigal son? When did he come to his senses? When he had reached rock bottom. He was in the pig pen. And he said, what am I doing here? I'm going to go back to my father. God many times will allow people to hit rock bottom if we continue to stubbornly choose sin over the life that God made us to be, which is to live a holy life. I spent the most time on the first point, okay? So don't think, wow, I'm never going to eat dinner tonight. <laughs> because that was a big part of, our, of, of the message. Restore the sinner. The next part is remove the sin. Remove the sin within your own life, right? And we saw if somebody calls themselves a believer and they've been confronted, like they've gone through step one through step four, and they refuse to change, they said, hey, remove that person also from your midst because we're going to look at what it says here. It says your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. How many of you have tried to make bread? Tried, okay, praise God for, for some of you. What do you need to add into the bread to make it rise? Yeast, right? In the olden times, they would actually have the leaven, they would take a little bit of the, of the leaven that was mixed in the dough and mix it into a new batch of fresh dough. And that little batch that had leaven would just infiltrate the entire new batch. And it would cause the yeast, the, the chemical reaction in the bread to make it rise. And the Apostle Paul is like, hey, sin is like that. A little bit, and it impacts the entire body. He says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. You see, leaven and unleavened bread. The pita that you eat, unleavened bread. The gardenia, leavened bread, or whatever brand. I'm not advertising anybody here, okay? <laughs> so he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you are what? The body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That's why. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. What affects one of us affects all of us. You know, I was with a friend, a dear friend, in the hospital a few weeks ago. And the reason why I was with him was he had some blood clots in his leg. And turns out he had diabetes. And he's, he's not, he's, he's my age. And it didn't get better. So long story short, they had to amputate his leg. Let me ask you, why would they need to amputate a leg? Because if there is death in one part of your leg and you keep your leg, that death could spread to your entire body and destroy the entire body. So we were praying that it would be below the knee but he had reached up to the calf, so they had to cut him above the knee. Yeah, it's terrible. 
But for me, it's an amazing reminder of how serious sin is. And we don't treat it that seriously. We don't treat it seriously for ourselves. We don't treat it seriously for each other. But this passage is reminding me we need to treat sin seriously because a little leaven leavens the entire batch. And we're not here to prove anything to anyone. We're not here to say we're better than than you or you're better than us. That's not the point. The point is God called us to live holy lives. And it is impossible for us to live that kind of life apart from the grace and power of God and apart from each other. That's why we need to love each other. We need to embrace discipline. Let's not be afraid to speak truth and love into each other. Let's say, hey, I think you need to grow in this area. I don't want you guys to become Sherlock Holmes and look for faults in people. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you have sin in your life, treat it seriously and open yourself up to people who can really help you. Because some people will never know who you are and you won't, you're alone. I don't want you to be alone. I don't wanna be alone. I need people in my life. Be serious about the sin in your life. It will destroy you and others around you. Get rid of it today and live the real you. What is the real you? Well, third point, receive God's grace. That is the real you. What what does that mean? Look here, he says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. Did Did you catch that? Just as you are, in fact, I, I, I underlined it. Is it on the screen? There. Can you read it with me? Just as you are, in fact, unleavened. Wow. I'm unleavened? You're unleavened? Yes. That is who you are. You are not leavened bread. You are unleavened. Did you know that? I always tell my son, and he's the one who's going to get all the examples because he's the youngest one, Andrew. <laughs> and he's not here. But I said, Andrew, what you did was wrong. But I want to remind you something. That's not who you are. You are a child of God. What you and I wrestle with, sin, is wrong. But that's not who you are. We are unleavened bread. We are not leavened. How do we become unleavened? For Christ, can you read that with me? Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Wow. This is the only verse in the New Testament that makes reference to Christ being our Passover. What is he talking about? Have you heard the statement that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed? What does that mean? It means there are many things in the Old Testament that we don't fully understand until we have the New Testament. And the New Testament makes the the picture clear. When the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years, what was the last plague that broke Pharaoh's back? The death of what? The firstborn. It was the death of the firstborn. And how did the Israelites manage to not experience the death of the firstborn? They had to find a, a, a year old male lamb, unblemished, and they had to offer it as a sacrifice. They got the blood, painted it on the doorpost. And they ended up eating the lamb. It was their Passover, Passover meal. And, and God said in Exodus, he said, if the angel of death sees the blood, he will pass over and he will spare the Israelites. And that's what happened. Fast forward to the time of Christ. Do you know the time when Jesus chose to die? He could have chosen any time. He chose to die on the feast of the Passover. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, our greatest problem is sin. It has impacted everything about our world. 
It has impacted our life. Even our appetites are impacted by sin. We have many appetites that are perverted because of sin. But Jesus says, look, when he died on the cross, he was the payment of our sin. He is our Passover sacrifice. He is the reason why we can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light because Jesus is the one that paid for all our sin and Jesus is the one that has set us free from the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin. And so because he is our Passover and if you have him in your life, if you have received Jesus, you believe in him, I'm here to tell you, you are unleavened bread. You are God's child. Look at what he says. He says, you are, read this with me. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a what? A holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people. Look, none of us were God's child before. We were all sinners. And if you have never given your life to Jesus, you are not God's child, but you can become God's child today. If you receive Jesus into your life, he says, but now you are what? The people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's amazing news. And I wanna call my brother, Chris and A's, to share their testimony with us. Um, let's welcome them, and uh, let's hear how God has um, done his work in their life. They came all the way from Bulacan, so thank you guys. When I was growing up, I thought that having high grades, being active in church and school, getting awards, and having a squeaky clean image were all that mattered to find sure success in life. However, the freedom I experienced in college made me compromise as I wanted to be cool and accepted. I entered a serious relationship with Chris, which led to an early pregnancy. We got married at 19 and 20 while I was six months pregnant. At that time, I wanted to prove that I could still be successful despite this. Chris and I pursued postgraduate studies, and in 2006, Chris became a lawyer and I a medical doctor. All these we were able to attain while raising two kids. The praises of people on our achievements gave me a sense of pride, which further fueled my drive to be successful. As Ace was focused on her image and success, I became a pleasure seeker. I started going out with friends to drink, go to clubs, parties, and began flirting with girls. In my mind, I justified these indiscretions, thinking I missed out on being a bachelor. When I became a lawyer, I indulged in the prestige that came with it. I used this status to get to know girls and engage in extramarital sexual activities. Later on, I dabbled in several recreational drugs. I did not care what all my actions would do to my family as long as I wouldn't get caught. Since we both rose in our respective careers, work was my top priority. I enjoyed the title, the money, and the control I had as a doctor. In my mind, I was the epitome of the woman who has it all. With my formula for success, I continued to fill my life with things that I thought would bring me happiness, security, and purpose. However, I felt a growing emptiness in my heart that I could not understand. As a lawyer, I had no qualms about getting into compromising situations. I became a master at compartmentalizing my life. An ideal family man for four days a week and a perfect boyfriend thrice a week. After seven years, my double life was exposed. In early 2012, Ace found two movie tickets in my wallet. Looking back, it was God's appointment as I had always been careful not to leave traces of my extramarital activities. Ace started to investigate and discovered all my other relationships. 
The evidence was so overwhelming that in the end, I decided to confess. I reached rock bottom. Ace was devastated and wanted to end our marriage. I then remembered one of my Kagimic friends who had joined CCF. I noticed how he had changed and asked for his help. He referred us to a married couple who gave us time even though we didn't know them. They shared that we needed God and invited us to a couple's retreat. At this time, I wallowed in self-pity. I found it hard to grasp why and how this could happen when I did not do anything wrong. How can my best friend, my husband, and the father to my kids be this same disgusting person? I gave in to attending the retreat to prove to Chris that nothing could save our marriage. It was Chris who needed the retreat and not me. But to my great surprise, it was in the retreat that I had a personal encounter with the Lord. God spoke clearly to me in the message on true forgiveness, revealing my own sinfulness, that my life revolved around myself. God opened my eyes to the truth that I kept focusing on Chris' infidelity, yet I am also a sinner as I stand before the Lord. Who am I to deserve such love and forgiveness through the cross that a great God that he is would go through all that to reach out to a sinner like me? With our marriage issues still uncertain, I asked God what to do. Although I did not like his answer at first to trust in him, I obeyed. I took that leap of faith and forgave my husband right then and there, just as Christ has forgiven me. I was unsure what would happen next from that first step of obedience, but I was sure that I could trust my Lord and Savior, Jesus. As I experienced God's redemptive love, I committed my life to Jesus, who not only restored my marriage, but blessed me with a personal relationship with him. Another gift from God at the retreat was the conception of our youngest child and only son, Caleb Elijah. I embraced God's discipline by refraining from doing anything that would hurt my Lord, my wife, and my family. I developed a hunger for his word and a burden to share the good news. To protect our marriage and prevent me from returning to my old ways, I became accountable to Ace. I also took on the role of intentionally leading my family closer to Jesus. I confessed my past to my kids and they forgave me. We also joined a discipleship group to grow deeper in the Lord. Our gratefulness to God led us to volunteer and to serve here, then later on in CCF Malolos. By God's grace, we eventually started discipling other couples too. God also convicted us to surrender our careers to Him. In 2013, I was offered a job in an organization that rescues victims of sexual exploitation. Although the compensation was less than half of what I was getting, Ace and I prayed and obeyed where God called me to go. In 2017, I gave up my law career and went into full-time ministry in CCF as leadership development coordinator for Central Luzon and presently as volunteer overseer for CCF Angeles. From that first step of forgiveness, praise God. I would have never imagined this journey we are on now with Jesus. Often, we no longer recognize ourselves, but only see God's faithfulness in our lives. In 2017, I surrendered my career of 11 years to respond to God's call to be Chris' full-time help meter and to homeschool our three kids. It is not the life we plan for ourselves, often questioned by many. It is not financially fulfilling nor successful as the world defines. I am learning that true success is being and doing what God calls me and my family to do, no matter the costs. It is never a storm-free life, but having Jesus as our reward, that is more than enough. If given a chance to rewrite my life, I will still choose not to change any detail. Truly, only God sees the bigger picture. His ways may be beyond our understanding, but He alone knows what is best. God alone can make something beautiful out of our messy situations. 
as I look at where God has taken us, I am humbled with His goodness and grace. Although I still struggle with unbelief in the area of provision, God constantly disciplines and trains me to depend on Him alone. He is my faithful provider and my inheritance. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 16 declares, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of His great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in Him and receive eternal life. Please pray for us that we will be faithful to lead others to Christ and that the Lord will finish what He started in us. I am Chris Isidro. I am A.C. Isidro. Former slaves of the world, but now servants for Christ. To Him be all the honor, glory, and praise. Praise God. Guys, um, let's all stand up and pray for them. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for Chris and A's. Thank you, Lord, for using their life to, to really show us what your grace looks like, what forgiveness looks like, what redemption looks like, what restoration looks like, and what, what blessing looks like, Father. Father, you know um, the impact that they're having um, within their own family also. I thank you for all their children, for blessing them with wonderful children who love you and are being used by you to also impact uh, this world for your kingdom, for your glory. And we thank you for how you're using them to impact the community in Bulacan, in Angeles. And so we pray for them, that you would protect them. You know the, the struggles that even Chris shared. Thank you, Lord, that you are our provider and that you will continue to provide for all their needs, financially, emotionally, spiritually. And we pray for their marriage, Lord, that you protect them from the attacks of Satan and continue to use them, Father, to inspire so many others, Lord, to your kingdom, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys. Were you guys blessed? You know, that's what God does. He takes us as we are, right? And he transforms us. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrifice. And that's why we, as a body of Christ, we want to live lives that are what? Holy and pleasing to God. Because that is the most fulfilling life. As we wrap up, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, 9 to 10, we're towards the end. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. So apparently there's another letter, another letter that we don't have a copy of. So 1 Corinthians isn't 1 Corinthians. There's another letter, but we don't have a copy of it. So it's called 1 Corinthians. But in this letter, he already told them, don't associate. But look what he says. He says, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or the idolaters. Or then you would have to what? Go out of the world. It's like you have to be in another planet. What's the last point? God has called you to redeem the world. Yes, you embrace discipline. You, you, do what you, you do your part, you restore the sinner, you remove the sin, right? But you redeem the world. As you receive God's grace, you redeem the world. John 15, uh, 17, 15 says, I did not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Do you remember Jesus? Who did he spend time with? The sinners. He spent time with them. I love this quote. The tragedy of so much modern Christianity, and incidentally, the basic reason for so much ineffective evangelization is that the modern, is that the Christian community is both what? Remote from unbelievers and lax with fellow believers who persist in sin of one kind or another. In a word, there is what? No distinctiveness. God has called us to be distinctly different to be loving. I was at a dinner the other night, invited to a birthday party, very intimate, very small group. And as we were celebrating the person's birthday, the family members were honoring him. And these family members, one by one, shared about how his life, his transformation, his kindness, generosity, patience, example, 
is what led them to all become Christians. They all became Christians because of, the, because of his life. And when you are distinctly different, when you are holy like God has called us to be, and we need each other, you will redeem the world. Not just because of what you say, but more so because of who you are. You know, I know we all struggle with things. So I struggle with eating sweets, okay? So something as simple as that. And one of the things that has really helped me in the last, I would say two months, is I cut a deal with my daughter. I said, if I eat sweets, I have to run one round around the village, which is three kilometers. And so sometimes at night, I think about it. Am I gonna eat sweets? I have to run three kilometers. And it really has helped me. Last night, somebody gave us pulveron. We were at a, we were at a, a reunion of, of a sort, and there was such nice dessert. My mom was like, uh, my mom, my wife. <laughs> Jenny, are you here? <laughs> anyway, my wife, she said, look at that dessert. It's good. I'm like, I'm not eating it. But on the way home, I had the pulveron. I'm like, it's milk. It's milk. I'm like, I'm going to try so I opened it. She's like, that's sweet. I'm like, eh, it's milk. I ate one. It was so good. It had pinipig in it. It was so just perfect. Milk and sugar. I, I, I tasted the sugar. You know, I, did, I didn't just eat one. I ate five of them. <laughs> and and she, she asked me, how many did you eat? I'm like, you know, I tried one, but I had five. She's like, you said you're only going to try one. I'm like, I don't know if I said that. Anyway, I got home. It was 11.15 at night. I said, I did eat sweets. And I'm preaching tomorrow about this, about stuff that we struggle with. And I have another friend who I text every night. He's single. And, and he struggles with pornography. So I, I text him every day. Um, I exercise today. That's my commitment to him, to do some kind of exercise every day. His commitment to me is to fight pornography. And so we text each other. I'm like, I haven't exercised today anyways. And I ate sweets. So I ran. I ran around the village. I, I texted him. I, I ate, uh, I, you know, I exercise. And I, I'm able to be truthful to my daughter as well. You know, little things that, like that. Be having... Christian family around you really helps you to live a holy life. But you have to embrace it. Don't, don't be like you, don't, don't be proud like the Corinthians, right? Be humble and say, I need help. And this is how you can help me. Last two verses, it says, what have I to do with judging others? For you do not judge those who are within the church. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. You see, to redeem the world. Do not judge people outside. They don't know any better. They're not believers. It's so easy for us to talk about how bad our government is, how bad this is, how bad that is. Don't judge others, right? Let's judge ourselves. We need to become more like Christ. You know the person that was talked about in the beginning of the letter? Many scholars, and I like to believe also, that he was restored. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter two. Sufficient for one as one in this punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so the punishment, they all decided to move him out, remember? So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. You know, tough love is needed many times for us to really become holy. So let's embrace that. Let's have a high standard for ourselves. In your D group, don't be afraid to talk to people in loving way, in a gentle way, right? And all for the purpose of helping them become like Christ. Remember, God is a redemptive God. He's not punitive. What's the message? Embrace holiness, which means to embrace discipline, restore the sinner, remove the sin, receive God's grace, and redeem the world. As we close, I have the privilege to celebrate the Lord's Supper with you. Isn't that amazing? That we talked about Christ being our Passover. He says, just as in fact, you are what? Unleavened? Because Christ, yes sir, I have. You impressed? I have. Yeah. 
<laughs> Thank you. Just as you are in fact unleavened, for Christ our Passover also has been what? Sacrifice. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, for with the leaven of, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're not celebrating the Passover. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper, which is what Jesus told us to celebrate in remembrance of him. In fact, I'm going to read it for you. I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to pray for you. I know some of you are here for the first time, or maybe you've been coming to this church for a while, and you've heard about who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross for you. And I want to pray a special prayer for you because maybe Jesus is not yet your Passover sacrifice. Maybe you know him in, in the head, but maybe you've never experienced the forgiveness and the power of life transformation through what he did on the cross for you. And I want to invite you to pray to receive Christ. And while I'm praying for those people, those of you who do have Jesus in your life, I want you to remember everything that he has gone through, right? The decision he made to bear our sin on the cross. And I want you to search your heart. Is there any sin in your life that you're holding on to? And I want you to surrender it to the Lord. And say, Lord, I don't want to live that kind of life. Remember, I'm talking about the unrepentant person. I'm not talking about people who do struggle with sin. You know, you, you, you're wanting to live a good, you're wanting to live a life pleasing to God. But you find yourself falling into sin. I praise God you, you want to live a life pleasing to God. And we're in the same boat. But if you are a person who refuses to change your life, and you're taking what Jesus Christ did on the cross in vain, that I'd say don't partake of the Lord's Supper, right? Because that's what happened in the Corinthian church. But if you are at a point and you know that there's something in your life that you, you want to surrender to the Lord, do it. And then take the Lord's Supper with me, thanking the Lord that he has forgiven you, right? We don't earn our forgiveness. We don't crawl on our knees for penance. Jesus has forgiven you completely. He is our Passover sacrifice. And I just want you to remember who he is and what he's done on the cross and thank him. But for those of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus, please pray with me right now in your heart. Lord, I admit that I have sinned against you. I admit, Lord, that I have made decisions and have lived my life for myself. And today I want to thank you for being my Passover sacrifice. I want to thank you that 2,000 years ago, you died on the cross to pay for my sin. And I understand that what you did on the cross is complete. And I believe in you, Jesus, and I open up my life to you. I surrender my heart to you. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my master, and to be my savior. So I thank you, Jesus. Thank you for making me unleavened. Thank you for making me your child. Thank you for your promise of eternal life. Thank you that you have made me holy. And this is my real me, to be a holy vessel pleasing to you. So thank you, Jesus. And Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, the rest of us, we, I know that there is compromise in our life. And so we want to just humble ourselves before you and we surrender whatever sin it is that is holding us back. Just like the Corinthian church, Lord, we want to embrace your holiness and we surrender our sin. And you tell the Lord what that sin is. And Lord, we, we thank you. We thank you for giving your body 2,000 years ago for dying on the cross for our sin. We're so grateful and we commemorate that tonight as a body together 
we worship you. So let's partake of the bread. Thank you, Jesus, for your body. And Lord, as we, um, as we hold this juice, we know it, it represents your blood that you shed on the cross 2,000 years ago. And Father, I personally will, will never fathom the depth of your love for me and for us. But I thank you for giving your blood, for being our Passover sacrifice, that we can have newness of life and we can have a relationship with you. So thank you, Jesus. And we commemorate that today. We celebrate you, Jesus. Let's partake of this juice. Heavenly Father, as a, as a body, we thank you that we're all connected. We thank you that we have each other. We thank you, Lord, that we have you. We need you. We need each other. Teach us, Lord, to embrace discipline. Help us to love each other enough to speak the truth and to be there for one another. So we pray for us, Lord. Help us to be a holy church. Help us to be a holy people. Help us to live up who we really are in you. Thank you for this, this amazing time of worship. And we give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so make sure to subscribe to our podcast or join an Elevate group through chatting with us. See you at our next podcast.